Okay, this week... Oh, that's loud. Let me just move you down. Okay. This week we are um, going to revisit what we talked about last week, but from a biblical perspective. In other words, looking at what God thinks of the whole thing. Um, we talked about um, modernism and postmodernism and really how that's influenced um, our society and it's influenced a lot of things. Uh, not just it's influenced our politics, it's influenced uh, tons of stuff. So, um, and uh, now we're going to look at, you know, we've seen how that's kind of crept into how people view the Bible and interpret the Bible, look at the Bible and inspiration. And we want to look at what Scripture declares. Um, so we're going to be spending uh, our day looking through uh, three topics uh, from, from just from God's words. And before we do this, I want to... Um, we've talked a lot about how we don't want to use circular reasoning. Well, God says this. Well, yes, but we're trying to prove that, so you can't use the Bible to prove itself. At this point, we've proven the Bible. Right? We've, we've, we've gone through all these evidences. Now we're talking about people who are interpreting the Bible. And we're, we're, we're discussing with them. So we're no longer in the area of circular reasoning. Right? We're, we're now in the Bible. We all agree that we need to be in the Bible to some degree or another, or in some fashion or another. And so now what we're saying is, let's let the Bible tell you and I how we should look at it. That's the best way to do any of this. When we're, when we're talking about inspiration or we're talking about Bible interpretation, really the best source to tell us is the source itself. Um, so uh, we can have lots of opinions about the Bible, uh, but really the best opinion is the one that will be derived directly from the Scriptures. So we want to talk about the first... Um, uh, we want to talk about inspiration first of all, and what the Bible says about its inspiration. Um, so let's look, first of all, at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Someone wants to read uh, verse 15 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And how from embassy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for the every good work. Okay. Uh, we're going to notice a couple things, and I'll be repeating this, uh, repeating some things kind of through as we go here, because it's repeated over and over in all these verses that we're looking at. Uh, but before we get to that, um, now he read, I, I like the version he read, uh, does anybody have a different version? All scripture is what? Inspired. We said inspired. What's wrong with the word inspired? It makes it, make, makes it feel like an emotion. Okay. Or, uh, yeah, we, we use the word, oh, I was so inspired. Something else gives you that. <clears throat> Not necessarily... That it's from you, that it kind of comes from somebody else. Okay. You're on the right track. The word inspire is what? 
What's spire? The, the word spire has to do with breathing, right? Spirit. Right, this version says God breathes. Right, and why, why do you think that they changed that? Do you have a guess? If I say inspire, what have, what have I said? Right, I, 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 it, it makes me the focal point. This word is not inspire, it's actually expire, which sounds even worse. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, oh, that expired, right? like milk. <laughs> but, um, but it's actually outbreathed. It's not inbreathed. It's not inhaled, it's exhaled. And that's the difference. Um, unfortunately, this uh, translation has been around for so long that the word inspiration has become its own thing. And it means its own thing. We don't any no one looks at the prefixes and the suffixes when we when we, we just it means what it means. And so we accept the word inspiration for meaning God giving scriptures. Though grammatically it's incorrect. Uh, the, the translation is grammatically incorrect. It's actually he expired the scriptures. He didn't inspire the scriptures. Uh, so, um, and that's important because we're talking about point of view, where it comes from, and that's the whole. It's actually kind of a, in a weird way. It's a, it's a, a that modernist and postmodernist viewpoint where I am the center of things and I determine the value of things and the meaning, what it means to me. Well, it's not. It doesn't come from you. It comes from God. So, so that's where we begin. Um, and I want you to notice the number of times, um, and not just in this verse, that um, in all of these verses, that totality words are used. You know what I mean by totality words? Like all. Okay. All encompassing words. All, every, those kind of words. That, that, these verses that we look at don't offer exceptions to the rule. They, they, they are all-encompassing. And so in this one, all scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many good works are there that I need a different source for? None. Right? If I say all good cheese comes from Wisconsin, how much good cheese comes from Ireland? Well, none, because all good cheese comes from Wisconsin, right? Um, so so that's, a, that's, a, that's what we're talking about. Um, all good works. All good works are found in the Bible. I don't need any other source to, to be the the one to tell me. And all scripture, all scripture is, is exhaled by God. So How many scriptures are not from God? Michelle has a Bible. It's four different versions. And the King James says, be perfect. Uh-huh. And the New American Standard says, be adequate. Yeah. They're very different. Yeah. Well, and again, uh, because that, and that's actually, it's, it's um, uh, because of our English 
we've changed the meaning of the word adequate. Um, uh, adequate to us means well, you just barely got by. Um, that's that's not really what it'd be kind of like adequate would be kind of like pass fail like you did it or you didn't you know it's like <laughs> um so um but yeah that's and then that, that is kind of important to be able to explain that because when people have a we we live in a language you know a modern language and so so that can people oh it's just adequate um so um so scripture all scripture is breathed out by God. Its intent is from God, as we've talked about, and we we see the universal nature. And that's not very com- compatible with modernist or postmodernist thought, which says, well, there's nuance in there, and you know, maybe there's some contradictions, or it comes from me. So, in, in two ways, we see a denial of those two uh, those two ideas. Okay, let's talk. Let's go to the Old Testament. Or no, yeah, let's go to Old Testament for for several verses here. Jeremiah chapter one verse nine. Jeremiah one nine. And some of these will kind of breeze through, and some of these we'll spend more time in. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, "I have put my words in your mouth." Okay. What did he put in his mouth? Not his thoughts? No. His words. This idea of thought inspiration, when we talked about the, the modernist view of, of Bible interpretation where he just, well, just give you his thought and, and they communicated it in their own way. And, and, uh, and so, so there might be some... No, he did not put his thoughts. He put his words. Um, the exact... God didn't leave it to chance that someone was going to relay that correctly. Um, so another one, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. And I, I filtered these out, but uh, I, I probably could have done this, pared it down more, but I could have included more too. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Okay. Uh, how long? Again, we have an all-inclusive word, right? Forever. It, it, it's not going to fade with time. It, it's, he compares it to something that fades over time and says it's not going to do that. It, it's not going to develop errors over time. It's not going to be less accurate. It's not going to go out of style. Culture is not going to make parts of it obsolete. My word endures forever. Um, so, um, in Psalm 199. And there's quite quite a lot in Psalms if we wanted to. I'm just going to refer to Psalms 199 and verse 160. Actually, I think that's supposed to be Psalms 119. What's that? You're right. There's only 150. There's 152 in the Russian because they divide them up different. What's that? 
Psalms 119 as a typo. I'm like, that doesn't look right. That's an extremely long one. Yes. Verse 160, I believe. This is 176, I think. Okay. Somebody have a different translation. I like yours better, but there is a different translation. Some will say the sum of your word is truth. Um, And so I want to explain the difference between those. Uh, They both present a different... Psalm 119, verse 160. Uh, By the way... Okay, he can, we have these all words and ever words. and um, Actually, I think in Psalms 119, every verse except for, I want to say one, maybe two of the verses, refer to the scriptures or inspiration or God's word using some, some word. If you go through precepts, commands, decrees, laws, and like every, everything, uh, the, the whole chapter is about... Um, is about and, and it's interesting how it's structured. The eight, there are eight verse couplets using and in the original Bible they would um, every line began with a, a letter of the alphabet. So the first section they all began with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second section and he, it, the idea is from beginning to end everything is your word. Uh, it's very, it, it's a, it's an incredible poem, and um, so so here, I want to talk about the difference between all your words are truth and the sum of your word. The sum of your word is truth, is is interesting if it was intended to be translated that way. It's, the point is that we need to take everything in its entirety. That that we can't just come over here and select this part, and then I like this part, and leave that part alone. Uh, if that's the way it's translated, it denies, like we've talked about, modernist, postmodernist thought. <clears throat> However, the word here is, it literally is the head of your word is true. Uh, and a lot of times that's used in, in, a, in a time thing for, from the beginning. Uh, it's the same, it's a, the root of this word is the same, is used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, so it seems to be saying, from the beginning, your word is truth. From, from the very, all the way from the start, um, it's truth. It, it's in its totality. I guess it gets to the same point. There, there's not been something, from, from the very beginning, it's always been accurate. It's always been truth. I like all your words are truth. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the psalm is what's important, not these different pieces. Right, right. And it seems like, and and that's kind of gives room to this, well, if we take it all together, it's true. I mean, there might be this little error over here, and I I don't like to allow for that. And I don't think that this does. I don't think that's what he's trying to to get at. Uh, But either way, it's not subjective. Uh, God's word is truth. It's objective. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5.
Okay, there's no mistake about this one. <laughs> this, this is a slightly different sentence structure in the original. There is no mistake about this one. That um, every word, some say every word proves true. Um, or every mind says every word of God is pure. Um, there are no contradictions, simply put. Um, it's not merely general inspiration. Um, just overall, the message is kind of true. Um, God demands what we talked about, the inerrancy of the word. Um, people fight over. Uh, people don't want, there's a, a, a generation of people, two generations, three even, that don't want the, God's word to be absolutely true. Because that leaves no wiggle room for me. Um, but every word of God is, is true. He's a shield to those who put their trust in him. And that gets back to what we saw in Second Timothy, that um, if you want to prove what's true, if you want to, if you want to you know, know the good works that you should live by, this is where you turn. Uh, and this is what you should trust. So we're going to go back to uh, the New Testament, I think, for the remainder. Um, yes. So we're going to go back to the New Testament. And we're going to finish up our first section talking about inspiration. Um, and go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Someone wants to read that. Matthew 4, 4. On every what? Word. And not every thought that comes from God. Not every general idea that comes from God, but every word that comes from God. That's where life is. So, as, as far as the idea of what God breathed out, they were words. Um, and so, so we look at this first concept... Um, that, that God, uh, man's survival is dependent on not just the general message, but on the specific giving of that message. Uh, how do we survive if it's vague? You ever have you ever read directions and um, they're like kind of vague and you're trying to put something together? You get to the end and it tends like something's not right here. It doesn't look like the picture. Yeah, it doesn't look. Like <laughs> uh, every once in a while, I'd build models with with uh, with Benjamin, and they're usually pretty good. But every once in a while, there's a piece. It's like, I'm not sure if it's that piece or that piece. Does that go on the inside or on the outside? I'm like, I can't tell. Yeah, it's like 50-50 shot. <laughs> I don't know. So you use instructions? Model, in models. In models, I do in models. Because I can't, I'm not good at looking at all those pieces on the thing and, and figuring out exactly how they go. 
I, I like I like to get to the nice, cool-looking parts, and that tends so not to produce a. Once you built it, it didn't look right. That's what you go back over. Right, yeah, yeah. It's glued now. <laughs> but on more serious matters, that's our life. If that's our life, the directions can't be vague. They can't be just a general idea. God doesn't go, well, you know, I kind of, you know, I wasn't really so accurate over there. I didn't give you all the details that you needed over there. So you're okay over it. No. Our life is dependent. He's, he's told us again and again and again. Your life is dependent on these words. He's not going to give us vague words. He, and he's not going to leave it to chance that it's going to survive. So, uh, so we can be confident in the exact inspiration of the scriptures. So uh, I want to then move on um, to... Uh, interpretation, uh, uh, generally speaking, at the beginning here. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Um, and uh, let's read through verse 3. Sorry. For since the message spoken through angels were finding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Okay, so, so there is so much in this section. First of all, we begin right where we left off in the last section, that our survival is vitally connected to the Word. Uh, we must pay a closer attention to the details, is basically what he starts off. Give more earnest heed to the things we've heard so that we don't drift away from it. The drifting is on us. The, the, the Word doesn't drift away from us. We do the drifting. Um, and we see here that the that what is connected to inspiration, a detail we really haven't looked at yet. And I don't know the mechanics of it all. We see angels are somehow involved with this. That there's a there's a middleman between God and the and man. Um, that somehow they gave this message from God to, to humans. I know there's the Spirit is involved, and I don't understand how all of that works, but it does. Uh, and he states it as a fact. And again, we see every word. For if the word spoken by uh, angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a reward, how will we escape? Um, and this message was first spoken by the Lord, and it was confirmed by the apostles. Right? Here's what that means. That means your red-letter Bible is kind of a waste of time. The black letters are every bit as important as the red letters. The apostles confirmed the red letters. Right? They are all breathed out by God. 
they all have the same source. The words spoken by Christ and the words spoken by the apostles have the exact same authority because the apostles are not the source of them. First Timothy chapter three. And verse fifteen. Uh, let's see if I want more than that here. Okay, yeah. First Timothy three fifteen. this have to do with scriptures or inspiration? A little bit. Okay. Mm -hmm. We are the what? The church is the... Okay. We are the support of truth. Our job is to accurately relay truth. So that necessitates, it's like we say, begs the question. Um, There has to be a truth to support. God has to have in his mind that there is an objective thing called truth that can be determined, it can be analyzed, it can be defended. If, If that can't be done, if that doesn't exist, then we have a job that we can't actually do. If, if, uh, if we say, well, it's all kind of subjective, how does someone over here defend the same thing as somebody over here? Well, it's because it's they argue it differently. But there has to be something that's truth, that everybody in the same room, from all their different perspectives and backgrounds and can analyze and come to the conclusion, this is truth. So, so it again denies this postmodernism, this subjective, um, or what we call the intentional fallacy. Right? That there's not really some thought that was intended. Um, and again, it proves that incorrect. James chapter 3, verse 1 uh, <clears throat> James 
Why? What, what, what does this have to do with inspiration? Okay, so, so I have a responsibility now. Um, a, a problem with teachers, well, what is an intrinsic flaw with teachers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's for sure. Okay, so, uh, so I have a point of view. What else do I have? I have an opinion. Yeah, sure. Every, every human has a bias. I have something much more important than all of that. And I get to speak. I get to sit at home on my computer. And I get to, I get to formulate and put on paper. And I get to talk for a while. And people get to hear my opinions and my conclusions on the matter. And we can joke, but that is an incredible responsibility. And it's, and I hate the phrase like that, but it is a position of power. Okay, so, so all these ideas, it, it is a huge responsibility to make sure that what you're saying is true. And, and here's the thing is that here's another weakness, and this is where I was, I was getting ready to go to. A weakness of teachers especially is that we are invested. You, you stand up in front and you say something, and, and people, all people, teachers included, but, but because teachers have more... Um, 
more words on record, I guess, you want to defend those words once you've spoken them. And you, want to, you kind of want to have your opinion be the right one. And, and, and what people often do is they reverse engineer being right. And what I mean by that is instead of spending the time to make sure they're correct before they open up their big mouth and let whatever comes to their mind out, they do that and then search for the things to back up what they say. And, and now they're invested and it's hard to say, you know, and I was just, that was wrong. <laughs> that was inaccurate. And, um, and so, uh, so that is a weakness. It says, Listen, don't let many of you uh, become teachers. And this denies postmodernism because, well, they teach there's no standard. Well, if there's no standard, there's nothing to judge me on. Well, it's, it's whatever you want. It's, it's whatever you view. No, it's not what I view. There's a standard, and I'm going to be judged on that standard. Uh, it rejects modernism because that teaches, well, there's not, it's not an exact science. It's just kind of a general truth, and there's general ideas. And No. If it was just general ideas, it'd be okay if you got close, like horseshoes, you know? No. No. You're going to be judged, and you're going to be judged really hard. So it'd be better of you to reconsider being a teacher if you're not up to the task of analyzing and making sure you're accurate. Um, and if you're not sure you're accurate, you know, give disclaimers, lots of disclaimers. Uh, this is my opinion. I say that all the time. Um, this is my current understanding uh, because uh, people will take what you say make mistakes based on it. When I went to Southside, uh, there was a gentleman, and every time he got up to say the scriptures, uh, read it from the pulpit, he would say, and the scripture said, not what I'm saying, but the scripture mm -hmm. said. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of yeah. a, a, a cool thing to do. Yeah, you know, to remind yourself. This is not me speaking. Right. This is not my opinion. Yep. This is what scripture said. Um. I like this one, Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to... Galatians 2, 4 and 5. So I want to read that. This matter arose because some false believers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Hmm. We're supposed to hear everybody's opinions, aren't we? <laughs> Paul said no. <laughs> we didn't give them a moment. We shut them right up. Because it's not postmodernism. Well, everybody's opinions are equally valid. No, they're not. No, they're not. God's opinion's valid. And the only way you're valid is if you agree with them. That's the only way I'm valid, is if I agree with them. And this idea that, that, well, you know, that's your perspective, and that's, you know, Paul was not, Paul would not have fit in in, the, in our society. He's like, nope, sit down, shut up. That's what he basically said. It's a nice way of saying it, but, I mean, that, was, that would have been a very awkward church gathering, I think, to be at. 
is to have someone stand up and say, you, you're done. Right, and and or they had the other people had the knowledge but didn't care. They they thought that their opinion was uh, was something that everybody should be you know listening to. Well, said no. Yes. Well, right. No, you're right. This is this was with, with this was within right. This is this this is what I'm saying. This is all within a church setting, which makes it even more awkward. I think that that here you have people coming in that have different ideas within. Right, and that's what we began saying. This is all within the idea. We're all talking about now within people who have varying levels of trust in God's word and are placing some sort of emphasis on God's word. Well, I have this opinion about it. No. There's truth and there's not truth. There's not, well, my opinion and, well, I think this or this is what it speaks to me. And, nope. This is what it says. This is what it means. And there's nothing else. There's application. This application, this, we can take one truth and it means this truth and it might apply in a particular setting in your life one way and it might have a different, it might promote a different action. That's different. That's not, that's well. That's, that's called a, being a principle and principles apply. But the principle, the idea of truth um, is truth. Uh, and that's what we're talking about. So I want to... Uh, give just some questions. Uh, we're almost done here. Matthew chapter 22, and I want to read a, a, a passage here and ask some questions. These are questions to propose to a, a person who would challenge these ideas. Matthew chapter 22 tells a story um, of Christ. Uh, and um, oh, well, Why don't we read verse 29 through 31 and we'll th- then ask the questions. Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. Okay, so, so this is one of the times when, when people had tried to trick Christ with a question. Uh, well, here's the brother, he's got a little bit of it. So, uh, so, he, so he says, so he asks things. So, well, the first question is, are you smarter than Christ? Christ immediately referred to the scriptures. He said, your error is that you do not know the scriptures. That's your error. He didn't say your error is that you've uh, reached the wrong conclusions and, and you should have applied... You know, he didn't refer to their anything subjective. He quoted scripture. He said, your error is that you do not know the scriptures. So am I smarter than Christ? Um, Christ premised his teaching on the absolute inerrancy of the scriptures. That's the only way he can make this argument, is if the scriptures have no errors. And he identifies their main lack as being a lack of knowledge of that word. Uh, second question, how can we have assurance of salvation? Because he, he then goes on and he, he talks about their salvation. We've talked about that. Your salvation is dependent on scriptures. We've mentioned that. Uh, and um, he, he says, well, your salvation's in jeopardy 
because uh, you don't know the word. Well, how then, the second question is, how can we have an assurance of salvation through the word if that word itself isn't reliable? Right? He premised the idea of salvation of the word. If the word's not reliable, we can have no assurance of salvation based on that. Right? Does, that does that make sense? Okay. So the next question is, if the Old Testament, when he says the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. The Old Testament, parts of it had, or a good portion of it, had been written 1,500 years earlier. And he's, he's placing full confidence in scriptures that, had, that were written up to 1,500 years earlier, at the very minimum 400 years earlier. He's not allowing for any errors over that first 1,500 years. So how can we not... I mean, people say, well, it's, it's been time since the New Testament was written and there's all these errors in it. Uh, those have come in. Well, if we can trust the Old Testament, if, if Jesus... Am I, am I better than Christ? Because Christ trusted a 1,500-year-old document to be accurate. So why can't I trust a 2,000-year-old document? the New Testament, to be accurate. Especially seeing as how we have printing presses. Those don't really make grammatical mistakes. They just, there it is. So, um, so this, this evolution thing that we talked about is denied. Um, and then the final, uh, uh, from this passage, if, if postmodernism or modernism is correct, and we, we were going to say, well, there's, there's parts of it that, that maybe don't apply from culture. And that's another thing. Here's this culture that's 1,500 years old from when Christ is talking, but he didn't allow for culture to be different. Moses' culture was way different from the culture Jesus lived in. But he doesn't say, well, those parts, will, those are, that's just their culture in, in Egypt, or that's just their culture there. So that, doesn't, that, that, that happened in Babylon, so that doesn't really apply to me now. We're, we're in Palestine. Jesus didn't allow for those differences to mean anything. But if we were going to say, well, they're different, who gets to determine which parts are accurate and which parts culture has affected? Who gets to determine that? If we're going to allow that, someone has to determine that. Who gets to determine it? And so I want to close with one verse, and we are a little bit over time. But uh, to me, this sums up everything. Second uh, Peter chapter one. It sums up the entirety entirety of what we've said this morning. Second Peter one, and verse twenty and twenty one. If someone wants to read that. Okay, so we have here first a statement that the scriptures originate from God and man has nothing to do with it, the message. It's not God put an idea and then the the words came out. And so therefore, the interpretation has nothing to do with man. It is not subjectively interpreted. It is not up to us to subjectively interpret. 
uh, put our own opinions into the interpretation. And so we're going to pick up from, from there next week uh, and look at some of the mechanics of interpretation.